Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is episode number 31. Chris Lassner wants to call it the Nick Van Exel episode. Is that right? Yeah, he the best 31. Bruh, how can you forget nine points in eight seconds or eight points in nine seconds? What happened at, at Madison Square Garden? Play hard like Reggie Miller. Oh, I did forget about Reggie. Dang. That's jacked up. So I'm going to call this the Reggie Miller episode because Nick Van Axel is not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not sure if he is one, but I know Reggie Miller is because it's Reggie time. You're right. So this is the Reggie time episode. Right. Right. And next week is, well, next, whenever we do a podcast, 32 is going to be really difficult to pick a athlete because those, there's been a lot of great 32s. Ooh, there have. I know what my pick is, but we'll see what you say. So we're going to go at Reggie this time. Sorry, Nick. You out of there. My bad, homie. This week, we're going to start with a story that happened in KG's segment on TNT, I believe it is. And he's hanging out with a bunch of his former teammates on the Celtics championship squad. And there was one glaring absence, probably the best shooter of the crew, right? Jesus Shuttlesworth. He got game. Jesus Shuttlesworth, a.k.a. Ray Allen, was not sitting with the fellas. And somebody tweeted in and said, hey, I know you guys are doing a reunion. You're coming up on the 10-year anniversary of you winning the ship in Boston. And KG is not one to... Um, sit back and not answer questions like that. So he decided that he was going to talk about the Ray Allen situation. <laughs> what he say, Chris? Forget what KG said, yo. Kendrick Perkins was the star of that show. His accent made everything so much better, too. But essentially, they said, hey, like we thought we had a brotherhood here. And then Ray Allen hit us with the business decision and went to the enemy like that. Like that wouldn't have any impact on the brotherhood. No discussion no nothing uh his minutes had started to decrease he had conflict with doc rivers he had conflict with rondo who didn't speak during the whole thing which was so awkward almost as awkward as pierce coming through in the wheelchair and wearing the shades like ray charles inside (laughs) what was he doing man and rondo was just playing with the ball man i felt bad for him because he was like man in his mind i know he was like man ray allen's my brother man i ain't finna be sitting up here talking about him but that was funny what you just said, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> well, the word is they ain't really never. That was always like the brother he ain't really loved. So I guess he was like, let me just go ahead and be quiet. But who did Rondo ever love? I think he loves mentoring the young dudes in Chicago. I think he's I think he's polarizing. I think the really hood people on the team always love him. Uh, the people who say this is a business tend to. Uh, have problems with the way Rondo can be very opinionated sometimes, I guess. But Rondo ain't hood himself, man. <laughs> Come on, man. He's like this this country dude. How the hood people love him? How's down the south hood? hood. How's the kind of like us? <laughs> Grew up in the down south part, right? Somewhere in Kentucky or something. Look, look, they were throwing shade at him, okay? They were throwing some major shade at Ray Allen. And I get it. You left the team to go to Miami to win a ship and you felt like them bringing in jason terry i think it was was kind of encroaching on your territory so i got a question for you c last because you played at 
Shenandoah University, right? So, so if you had a teammate, let's say it was Jay Hart. Let's talk about Jay Hart. If y'all won conference championship one year and Jay Hart went and went and defected to another team, maybe he had to sit out a year. I don't know what the what the rules are um at that level. So, so what if he had to sit out a year? And then you guys had to play him as a rivalry. Would you and and some of the other players come back ten years later and be on a show like this and say, "Man, I don't know why Jay Hart was chasing rings." So that's essentially what Glenn B- Baby Davis said, right? Would that be Dude, the end of your friendship? So funny that you said that because this did happen with one of our teammates. So we're not going to take up a ton of time on a podcast with Division Three Athletics, but real fast, we had a, a teammate named Henok Trafu Jubanji Bahanu. Whoa. <laughs> so he's from DC area. He played with uh I think he played with um Jason Muscari that went to George Mason and Steve Francis. So played on a loaded high school team, played with us for a couple years, but then finished out his last year at Marymount. I'm by this point, but my old teammates faced him and I heard he put, hit a jump shot late in the game uh to put them up. And it's so funny that you mentioned the Reggie Miller choke sign because Hanak evidently hit them with the Reggie Miller choke sign after the game. (laughs) But then Shenandoah came back and won after he hit a shot, somebody else hit a shot. And I may be butchering this story completely because I was gone from campus at this time. But I do know he transferred to a school closer to home called Marymount. And uh, we did. But if I saw Hanak, I would run and hug him. I've always loved that kid. Hope he's doing well right now. Um, But... Like in Division Three, people leave for all types of reasons. But I can definitely see, like, if you felt like you had something that was bigger than business, like you had created a brotherhood, um, that you would expect people to leave in a certain way. And if you had an enemy in that brotherhood, that you wouldn't go to the enemy. Yeah. And I mean, case in point, this wasn't somebody leaving the team, but case in point, you see what happened with Michigan, right? Like they had a tight brotherhood. And... Them them cats don't even speak to see web no more. It's kind of it's kind of terrible, man. It's bad. You love you would love to see them get back together again and just at least for a reunion and just hang out, but not sure if that's gonna happen. But the C's, man, I don't know if the C's are gonna do it either. Ray Allen seems like he has a little bit of pride in him. And uh I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but we'll see. We'll see if that happens. Did they say that he put a picture of his Instagram page? Of him elbowing Rondo after that. Yeah, somebody said that he got hacked, quote unquote. You know how that happens, right? Something happens and it's like, oh man, somebody hacked my account. Very interesting that it happened right around that time. Yeah, that is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's like Bow Wow getting hacked this week, right? Oh, no, boy. you didn't get hacked, bro. All right, we're not going to oh, talk about that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Next topic up. Where are we going? To Bethune Cookman. Back to the Come South again. Back to the Dirty South. This might be the Dirty South episode, man. We're talking about who? Bethune Cookman in Daytona, Florida. I know a lot of people don't even know Bethune Cookman, but I graduated from HBCU, so I know about the Wildcats. And they decided they were going to invite an interesting commencement speaker to speak on this week. And it was Betsy DeVos, who most people know was the one whose office kind of misspelled W.E.B. Du Bois and trying to honor him during Black History Month. And uh, who actually said that 
um, HBCUs were the pioneers of school choice. So she got a little bit of pushback, but here's what we want to talk about. The HBCU president of this school, when he was sitting there thinking about commencement speakers, did he really just say, hmm, I, I want to invite Betsy DeVos <laughs> to come and speak at my school. I know all the controversy surrounding her, but I'm not sure he anticipated that these students would stand up, turn their backs, jeer during most of her message. He actually had to get up and say, hey, look, you guys keep doing this. We're going to mail your diplomas. And it didn't stop them from jeering. So it was a tough thing to read about and to watch. And you just kind of wonder, like, was this one of the worst commencement speaker invitations given that background of all time? Yeah, that that's kind of like having Kanye be the commencement speaker for liberty. Uh, like, you just have to use a little more discernment. If I'm just, like, processing the story myself, it breaks down on a couple of levels. Um, First, like parts of it is just funny. Like parts, when you told me that you saw the commencement speaker with the cry, I mean, the school president, and he had the cry Jordan meme of him. All right, so the best. part of me is just, part of me is just here for the jokes, all right? Then there's just saying like a little bit of just understanding and saying like, hey, she's running a department that controls how 80% of the funding comes for HBCUs. And so at some point you have to extend that olive branch and there has to be some place where we start working together. Like there's already been in the news all week about is the funding of HBCUs even constitutional, which that's a whole nother thing we don't have time to get into. But okay, so I understand need to reach out, but evidently <laughs> in hindsight's 2020, right? But I think there were some forewarnings that people weren't happy. Like this just was not the best day to do it. I think no matter what side of it you fall on saying like they should have never had her or the student should have been respectful. I think everybody in the story degree agrees like this was a bad idea. Like I think we can all agree there. Then it goes to a place that creates a massive amount, just tension in me, Jay Rich. And it's the side of um, like you see this administration doing things that appear to be very harmful toward minorities. But then you see some people, um, administration, who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So then um, Betsy DeVos being one of those whose family has done good things for the cause of Christ. And then I have this internal wrestling where um, the same thing you may have with you wanting to be reconciliated in a church and see churches have some form of conciliation. And but just seeing like the barriers that are there and say some of those things that are like misspelling the boys's name or saying that uh, HBCU started because of school choice and saying like, hey, like we can't meet at level ground right there because that's insensitive and it's not true and it's ignorant. So just really not knowing how to feel about certain stories when it's saying like, hey, this is a person who believes what I believe is in the household of faith. And at the same time is doing something, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that is causing great harm to people of color. So I live with a great deal of tension uh, with people when it comes to that. I graduated from HBCU and I'm trying to figure out if I was there at the commencement, would I have done the same thing for Betsy DeVos being there? 
because you know higher education is supposed to be um, kind of the higher level of thinking, um, intellectually stimulating. And sometimes I heard stuff from people that I didn't agree with philosophically, but that was part of the liberal arts education of the school I went to. So there are going to be times where there are people I don't agree with, but probably going to be respectful enough to hear them out in terms of, hey, this is who the school has chosen to be the speaker. And this is what the commencement is going to be all about. So so sometimes you got to take the higher road, no pun intended, uh, and actually decide that you're going to actually hear out the administration on some things, but um, also exercise their right to be able to uh, protest. And they just going to have their diplomas mailed. They're going to have blank diplomas taking pictures this week. So it's all good. Jay Rich, is the crying Jordan meme on the school president in your top five crying Jordan memes? <laughs> it might have entered the top 10, but it's actually pretty great to see somebody in regalia with a crying Jordan face on. That was actually pretty cool. You trying to tell me it's not the top five, though? No, I don't think it's got to so. be top five. I don't think so. I can give you my five, top five list later, but it ain't on there. All right. So we're going to expect you to, at some point later, put out your top five crying Jordan meme. Top five crying <laughs> Jordan memes. I got you. I got you, fam. Word. All right. So we got one last story um, that we wanted to touch on. And kind of I got the idea from the story just about an article you shared along with some thoughts on one of your social media feeds that... Um, sparked a very interesting dialogue. But if I had to give the last part of this a title, it would be just like, hey, help, I think I'm in love with a false teacher. Or on the flip side, hey, someone I know and care about spiritually um, tends to be like in love with a false teacher. So I just wanted to take those one by one to a person who says, comes to you and says, hey, Jay Rich, I've really enjoyed a lot from um, XYZ minister, right? Um, but this thing kind of concerned me. And you know that that part person um, holds to some things that traditionally the church hasn't always held to. Um, how do you go about counseling that person? Here's the, here's the important thing in talking about this. I've found that people who, who have at some time in the past actually been a part of, listened to, or either... Um, had some of these persons um, preach to them in their spiritual growth and development are a little bit more gracious than folks who um, who have not. So so from my perspective, I think it, it starts with actually listening to uh, some of some of the messages and actually um, trying to process what your own thoughts are on whether or not they are true or false teachers. I think sometimes we read materials about some folks and read some stuff about people and then formulate our opinions based on other people's opinions. So let me just start by saying that the way to approach it. And, and, and I'm a personal example of this. I used to um, attend a church where I am diametrically opposed to uh, the views that that person preached at that point in time. Uh, so I think the best approach would be to have uh, a conversation that includes the person who is 
purporting that the person is not a false teacher. So you don't come out initially and say, hey, this guy is a terrible human being. <laughs> like <laughs> there has to be some grace season in there and say, hey, I appreciate this about him. He's a gifted communicator. Uh, he He's done great work, but these are some things that give me pause. Let's have a conversation about that. And then you also probably, and not probably, you have to be able to um, support that um, through the word of God, through scripture, um, and, and demonstrate some of your viewpoints through scripture and not just from your personal opinion. So I would say at least have um, something to back up the things that you're saying. So so for, for anybody who has friends or anybody who feels like that they're in a space where uh, there's a there's a person who you might not think is a true teacher of God's word. I think that first it begins with prayer and then it also begins with listening. And then you probably need to move to um, to scripture to make sure that some of the things that they're teaching aren't found in scripture um, so that you can be able to back up some of the things that you are feeling um, spiritually. I think that was, those are Holy Spirit promptings, but you got to make sure that. Um, there's something in the world to continue to to back up what yeah. what is being what your thoughts are. So I would just add that when we say someone is a false teacher, we're not saying that um, everything that they've ever said is false. So That's good. if something that they said is true and lines up with the word of God, like we're not saying that every single sentence out of that person's mouth is doing is like doing a disservice to the word of God. What we're saying is, um, <clears throat> hey, we know that this person doesn't line up historically with what the church has taught the gospel has been um, since its inception, right? The other thing, uh, you and I tend to laugh and just kind of wish we could be flies on the wall when uh, Santa Claus at the Council of Nicaea, St. Nick came out and hit somebody <laughs> with the two-piece without the biscuit a false doctrine inside of the church right but then you got two problems like you have a believer who's solid standing up for just like standing up for orthodoxy in a way that's not pleasant and so now you have a false teacher and he may have come across as more loving in that situation than if we come at somebody with both forearms loaded and just start delivering two pieces to people and so i think how you have that discussion matters. Finally, I think the thing is being able to trace some of those um, to say like, hey, here is how this doctrine got into the church. Actually, it came from Scientology and just part of the church teaching adopted that. Like that was never part of the true gospel. Initially being able to um, show people where those false doctrines came in from historically and say like, hey, like we know this person says this and it's encouraging to you but they hold to this. And this has been a deviance from what the church has believed. Here's where it entered the church. Here's how it came in. And here's why we reject that. And here's why we don't think it's good for your flourishing as a Christ follower. That's good. One last thing I would add, and I would say these are questions that you should ask of any sermon. Okay. One, did I leave this message feeling better about myself or amazed by an exalted Christ? Um, two, um, was this message contextually true um, in its historical context and then in bridging the gap towards me? Um, and this is for any sermon that you hear. You need to ask these questions. You need to say, hey, 
how am I leaving this myth? Obviously, the gospel brings us hope, but the gospel also um, is about God's glory and, and glorifying God in worship. So preaching is also a part of worship. Um, so if I leave messages feeling like it was self-help um, with a sprinkle of something else, then there's something deeper at work there that I probably need to work through. Amen. I'll amen that. Absolutely. This segment, we love to give you guys some resources that we feel like would be helpful for you um, as you continue on this Christian journey. So I always ask the homie C-Lass, what's going on on your nightstand or what's in the AirPods? Um, what you got going on that people might be interested in as a resource? All right, great. So um, this week, I, I mean, I feel like the Lord has just had his finger on um, me and saying like, are you being the man I need you to be in the home? So earlier this week, I texted you. I said, hey, man, always ask me these questions. Are you loving your wife well? And um, are you leading your family in worship? Um, but to that end, I've also been saying like, hey, I need to get back to like where these things are focal parts of my study. So I've been reading a book called The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. It's very gospel centered. It's not one of those things where he says like, hey, here's how to be exemplary outside of Christ. You can white knuckle it, but it just talks about how we look to Christ as our example and how the gospel fuels us to follow in his footsteps as Christ loved the church. But the best resource I've had in that, and I always beat this drum, but um, our artist series on the Christian family, and it has just been rocking me. It's like 12 part series. And I can't listen to it fast enough. It's been great. It's on his website, spiritempoweredpreaching.com. It's amazing. I've grown so much. I've repented to my wife and kids after I've listened to certain things. It's just been great. So, And for the record, listeners, Chris is an honorary member of Zerdy Years Church, just so you all know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that because I love him. He's He's top five in my list of expositors for sure hands down so for me i've been reading a book called everyday theology um which is a compilation of essays and also other things from some phd level folks on how to read cultural text and interpret trends so basically um, what they call it is cultural exegesis or interpretation of culture or cultural hermeneutics um, interpretation of culture. And they want you to look at culture through their lens first before trying to make any Christian application to it. So there are some articles in there about the checkout stand and seeing um, all the vanity there and, and People Magazine and Time Magazine and different things and how the Christian message kind of bridges the gap and says, hey, we're not talking about beauty on the outside. There's a beauty on the inside, but you have to start and their cultural context. So I like the way that they talk about cultural hermeneutics in, in that book, and it gives language to what we should be doing and what we do here on this podcast, which is look at Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. Uh, so it, it definitely is a good book to give you that type of language, and it gives you some examples. One of my favorite essays in there is the Eminem essay talking about his life and his music. It's pretty cool. So check it out. Arms is sweaty, mom's spaghetti. 
(laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's great. All right. Closing shout outs. Hey, I got to give a shout out this week to my man, uh, Rhino, uh, Ryan Taylor Crawford. uh, One of the young homies growing up was part of the 85 game winning streak at our high school. But in in college, played Division two at a school called Lenore Ryan. He actually it was Rick Barnes alma mater. So they scrimmage Texas every year and they're in North Carolina. So they play Davidson every year. So in high school, he actually in college, he actually played against Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. And it's just been fun listening to him talk about guarding each of those two players. So um, that's my shout out for the week. That's what's up. My shout out is a quick shout out to the new show that I've been appreciating watching. And it's called The Apprentice White House Edition. Man. (laughs) See? (laughs) We're not even going to go there, man. I just thought that was hilarious. Man firing everybody. Boy, nobody's safe. Ushers, everybody in the White House is fireable. Yes. Put your house on the market now. Exactly. You rent. (laughs) All right. That's been Miller time. Episode number 31 of the Boxing One Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode. Be sure to go over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Also go over to Twitter at Boxing One Podcast and to our closed Facebook group. Search for it. It's the Boxing One Podcast. We'll add you in there. You can join the conversation there. Until next go round, number 32. I don't know who we're going to name it after. We got it. Yes, we do. (laughs) We'll see. All right. Peace out.